1: Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi.
3: Welcome to Vegas. When you think about Las Vegas, you automatically think about showgirls. They've been a part of the Vegas scene for over 75 years. You may wonder, what does it take to be a showgirl? We know they're usually tall, attractive, and have incredible posture. But there's a lot more to it, and if you'd like to experience, you can. Today, you'll meet the folks from Showgirl Boot Camp, a kind of fantasy camp that's available to visitors and locals as well. Later in the show, we will learn the history of another form of entertainment that has a long Vegas connection, burlesque. The executive director of the Burlesque Hall of Fame, Dustin Wax, will discuss it all with us. Finally, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, is back to talk about something he hates, paper straws. Let's
0: go to Vegas, baby.
4: Let's
3: when you think of Vegas, you think of showgirls. The two go together. But how do you become a showgirl? Well, we're going to tell you how. And we have a lot of fun with a couple of great people that run Showgirl Boot Camp. With us today is Mist and Get and her co-owner, friend Stacy Lawblind. They're instructors, choreographers, and so forth. Well, Stacy, first of all, I know you talk about becoming a, a showgirl. It's not just a matter of somebody's tall and they're pretty and they throw on some feathers. There's a lot more to it, right? There's
4: a lot more to it. Yes. And it depends on, you know, are you talking about someone that's coming out of dance school and wants to live their dream of being a dancer slash showgirl in Las Vegas? Um, you know, that there's a lot to that. And when a lot of dancers and performers get here right from their hometowns, there's a lot more for them to learn once they arrive.
3: Well, I missed and get when, when you have people come in and so forth. Are they kind of surprised that there's there's so much more to it than what they see? I, I think a lot of people just think it's somebody to look pretty in the background, and that always is part of it, but it's far from being uh, the only thing involved.
5: Well, exactly. When they come in, they just think, "Oh, this is going to be fun. We're going to put on makeup, and we're going to put on pretty costumes." And they they begin they begin realizing that it's not you know just a, a fluff type of experience when they actually get a lesson in makeup. And Stacy is an, an amazing instructor that teaches each person within the time allotment how to emphasize not only the makeup, but the structure of your face. She gives you a a lesson in anatomy the whole time. She's also showing you how to apply the makeup and why. So it becomes informative as well as fun because we're drinking champagne the whole time we're doing it which makes it fun and then of course they look at the pretty costumes and until they get one on their head and they go wow this isn't <laughs> what i expected at all this is a lot different than i imagined and but the transition happens immediately when they take their their photo and then they own it and then they just want to be it and that's what Makes it joyful
3: for both of us, right? Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you guys have been doing this for a little while. You've been in Vegas for a while and have done some great shows. I mean, I was looking at some of the list of these. You know, there's some hotels that are no longer around, but when you hear things like the Landmark <laughs> Hotel, <of> them. <laughs> Casino de We're Paris. Imploded most of them. I, uh,
4: my life has been imploded.
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. When you watch those places be imploded and you've spent time in there, is there sort of a, a little bit of like saying goodbye to a friend?
4: There's not a little bit; it's a lot of bit. Like yeah. I honestly am emotionally affected by the the memory of those hotels when I drive by them. I still have a hard time when I drive by where the Stardust used to be. Yeah, and it really it really does choke me up a little bit. So, um, yeah, I I really do miss the old days, and I miss mm-hmm. the old vibe, and I miss the old, you know. The, like I said, my first show was at the Landmark, and it was. You know, just such a joy to wake up, and we lived in the hotel there, and uh, it was such a joy to wake up in the middle of the casino and go to the pool and get to know all the people that worked there, go on the stage to rehearse. I mean, it's just, it's a different lifestyle that most people never get a chance to to um, experience.
3: Really a lot of glamour, right? I mean, it really was, because people, you're there, and you're in a special place, and, and really what you were doing is very unique to Vegas.
5: Well, it's unique. It's actually unique to anywhere in the world because the experience itself, you have to have been in that industry during that time to know that any time you left your room, even though the, the performers would actually stay there in the hotel, any time you left the room, you were on stage. So even though it seems glamorous, it's also a responsibility because you're carrying the brand of the show and the the look and glamour of a showgirl every time you walk out of the room. So, and at that time, and and even today, it's considered a privilege more so than a, an actual job, a glamorous job, but glamour has a big part of the way it looks and, um, responsibility for the being able to be in this industry, um, makes it special
3: what you two do is such a cool thing because people hear it and go, wow, I wish I could experience. Well, actually, you offer them the opportunity to do this. You can kind of right. live in the same way that there's fantasy camps for baseball teams and so forth. They're almost kind of right. a fantasy camp, but you are learn from people that it are is. real pros.
4: No, it is. Yeah. It is. it really is. A, it's a bucket list. It's a fantasy camp type thing. And what we've done is we've given them all of the fun stuff all smack dab in the middle and then around the edges we've given them some of the tough parts so that they can experience it and taste it and appreciate like what they were seeing on stage when you're having you know those huge head pieces on your head and you know think something doesn't fit right and it digs into your ear and You know, we got to give them a little bit of pain to understand (laughs) where the beauty comes from.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the whole process. So let's say some girls are going to want to do something special, like uh, you have them for bachelorette parties, which sounds like a great fit or a special event, whatever. They get a hold of you, kind of run us through the process. What are they going to find out when they get there? How, How does the day look?
4: So when they show up for boot camp, they come in and they set up. Each girl has their own private makeup station that's set up to look as much as what it would be like backstage as we can pull off. Mm-hmm. And um they come in, they get everything set up, they get their makeup out, and then they take their before picture, <clears throat> excuse me, which missed and get, does all the photography and all the, the, the mastery of the of the photos. And we do the first picture with them with no makeup on. And then they sit down with me. And we take it takes about an hour or as close to that as we can. And we actually devise and design a makeup um, that will fit their face and make their face really pop. And I talk to them about why we do the makeup, um, how why it's dramatic, um, how far we want them to see out in the audience. And so we'll actually take their face and create this stage design for them. And then when they're done with that, which, I mean, that is really the meat of a lot of what we do, is just transforming their face from the neck up. From the neck down, they're wearing showgirl boot camp T-shirts and black leggings. They can wear heels or they can wear tennis shoes, whatever is most comfortable for them and what kind of experience they want to have. If they want to get really into it, they can wear, you know, fishnets and heels and all of that. So we customize and really personalize it for each group depending on how far do they want to take it because we can go to all ends. We can do anything that they want.
3: Back with more from Miston and Get and Stacey Blind in just a moment. Just a reminder, please visit Vegas Never Sleeps online. For the best in Vegas, it's always VegasNeverSleeps.com. And for great sports, it's Sports R-A-C-X, which is available on radio stations nationwide and wherever you listen to podcasts. In fact, later today on Sports Rockin' Tours, we'll present part two of our special look at the relationship with Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey and the breaking of baseball's color line. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network.
2: Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan?
1: Will, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue.
2: What does that do about the travel expense?
1: e-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are
2: then we need to consider the time away from production.
1: I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training.
2: Perfect, let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR
1: specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online
2: classrooms, simulations, virtual
1: and augmented reality, and curriculum development.
2: Get Epsilon XR on the phone.
3: Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Or more at elearning.epsilonxr.com. This is a time-sensitive message from the Back Pain Relief Hotline. Millions of people across the nation are suffering from back pain. Are you? Are you on Medicare? Is it hard to walk, to bend over, or even do simple things? Well, we have great news. If you're on Medicare, you could qualify to receive a pain-relieving back brace. We'll handle all
0: the Medicare paperwork if you qualify and ship your new back brace right to your door. Make sure you have your Medicare card ready and please call us right now and get all the details. It only takes a few minutes. Imagine doing
3: everything you used to do before your back pain. With your Medicare card ready, call
1: the Back Pain Relief Hotline today. Call now. 800 419 1964. 800 419 1964. 800 419 1964. That's 800 419 1964. Paid for by the Health Alert Hotline. Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with
3: Stephen Maggi. You are listening to producers Mist and Get and Stacey Blind of the Showgirl Boot Camp Experience.
4: Once they have their makeup on, then Missing Get comes back in and we put their head pieces on and the armbands um, and then the we jokers, take the jokers, jokers, all the jewelry and they that's when they all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off, and they are excited. And then we take their after pictures.
3: Well, I'm thinking, uh, Mistin, you know, you're know, you taking these pictures. Do some people want to take them? They're so impressed with them? Because you can do this. I mean, whether it's just a, a, at a local amateur show or maybe something a little more professional in mind. This is an opportunity. There are things that you can actually – well, we still have showgirls, right?
4: Yes, they're still there, but we just don't have what you would say a showgirl show. Mm -hmm. I think there's a few shows that have showgirl numbers in them, but there is no legitimate showgirl show like uh, you know Jubilee, Guido, Into the Night like there was before. We're waiting. I'm waiting for someone to come in with deep pockets. One of the things
5: is, is right after the photo is taken and their makeup is perfect and they're feeling it, they're going... Yes, I can do this. Look at me, I look like a showgirl. I got the costumes on like a showgirl. And then Stacy takes them out onto the floor. And then it's a matter of walking, just walking, you know, and turning. And then actually doing what we would call the very basics. And not something that they do like a trained showgirl, but still they're they're going through the motions And um, appreciating that even though the experience is, oh, yes, I've been a showgirl for the day, they would never sit back and go, oh, yeah, that was easy. I can do that any time of the day. They don't. But we do leave them with the idea that you're going to walk more deliberately when you're dressed to impress than you ever will again. After yeah. this class, well, yeah, the yeah. balance
3: in that is is incredible, and exactly, you know, it's a it's a show of class. I wonder, have you two ever? You see all different types, probably from the most clumsy t- to some that occasionally could have done it in the day. Do you see that? Where wow, that person has potential. If it was like the old oh, days, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. yeah, we're scouting all the time. We're always, oh, yeah. you know, and if they do have that in them, then we'll all push a little harder to get mm-hmm. them to do a little more extension, but. You know, when I teach them the showgirl posturing and just how to stand, there there's intention in how you stand. And, you know, I can't teach them in a few minutes what it takes people, you know, ten, fifteen a or a lifetime to learn. But I try to give them, you know, the the um short cycle of all of it. And once I teach them all of that and how to pose and we have all these little fun gimmick things that we do, um mm-hmm. And then, you know, we get the best version of what we can get out of them at that moment. And then I tell them to have fun and just show me what you've got. And that's Mm -hmm. when they can take what we've taught them, take what is inside them, and cut loose. It's really not about perfection or perfecting the walk of the showgirl. It's about perfecting it. Confidence. Yeah, it's about portraying the confidence and having an idea of how you should step with your foot. Um, Things that I'm sure that I do know that they work on later because I'll get videos through my emails and saying, look what we did. We've got it down pat, you know, because they're practicing at home. You know, both so, of you are I mean,
3: choreographers and I'm thinking mm-hmm. people must be interested just in, in realizing probably just in the time they're there, there's a lot of choreography involved and that is not an easy thing. I mean, unless you've been a professional dancer, it's pretty involved. Yes, but the, the
5: choreography that we're used to actually doing and teaching, this is, this is your basic walk, Arms up, arms down. It gives them a sense of um, just uh, four counts of eight, basically, of what an actual um, performance would be. And it and it's it's simple enough to to uh, actually do. So we want we don't want people to think that it's. Complicated or hard, because it's not. They won't have fun if we make it too hard. Right. So it, it's really we give them a basic layout, something that they can do. We put on the music, and then we just talk them through it and say, "Okay, girls, here we go." And and uh, Stacy will get up in front of them, and she'll do it in front of them, so they don't feel, you know, um, bad. That's and the then test. we and then we videotape it, so they actually get to see what they look like. And a lot of times it's just the look over your shoulder and come on, girls look, look like you're on stage. And, and it's just that fantasy. And I, I would imagine what it would be like if I were doing this myself, is that you do close your eyes and imagine yourself on stage in front of an audience. And of course the whole time we're telling them stories about our career and the things that we've done. And they just sit there and, you
4: know, experience the whole lifetime in a matter of two hours. And we get to clear some things up too, because yeah. a lot of the things yeah. about showgirls have been very skewed. Yeah. And it's also kind of for Missinget and get an eye, the history of what a true showgirl, I say slash dancer, because later on the showgirls were required to be more dancers because they started to combine the girls and right. what line they were in. So, um, for myself i I was a showgirl, really only in my very, very last show, but i've done did all the showgirl work in all the other shows that I did. but as a dancer, you're dancing harder, you're working harder, and um you know I, to be able to be a dancer and a showgirl, it was I was able to work yeah. a lot more.
3: More with Mist and Get and Stacy Blind of the showgirl Camp experience in just a few moments. <sighs> Your Vegas insider, Scott Robin, VitalVegas.com, is back. You know, Scott is a person who has his likes and dislikes. Well, one thing in Vegas that he dislikes is paper straws. One thing you do get mad about, and people that read Vital Vegas, which they should, every day know, paper straws annoy you. Kind of just tell us why you hate paper straws as much as you do. Okay, so... Las Vegas has been
1: infected with this. Uh, not the, not, it's not the environmentalism part that I mind. It's the fake environmentalism. It's the symbolic uh, do-gooder. We are going to replace our plastic straws with paper. Uh, several of the big casino companies have said they have banned them outright they have not put that into effect i think it's because everyone's annoyed the reality is that straws are a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of, a fraction of the waste that go into the oceans or anywhere else it is it is something that we do to make ourselves feel good and like we're doing something because we don't really really take on the bigger issue of that the bulk of that trash or their nets from fishing vessels right well, that's you can't do anything in a restaurant to help with the fishing nets other than maybe not serve fish so it bothers me because and a lot of people say well you know only children use straws And i'm like listen you're lucky you're saying that on twitter because i'm going to come through this twitter account i'm going to do things no it's because i need to stir my cocktail it's a mixed drink you have to mix it i'm not going to do it with my finger paper straws disintegrate. When you put your mouth on a paper straw, it
3: tastes disgusting. You're ruining my cocktail. Thanks, Scott. Make sure to visit Scott every day at VitalVegas.com. Don't forget to follow Sports Rockin' Tours, which now follows the show on most of these stations. You can also visit Sports R-A-C-X wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Steven Maggi nationwide on the Talk Media Network. Hi, this is Andy Martello, Las Vegas entertainer, award-winning author, voice of the Las Vegas aviators, and generally tired human being. You are listening
0: to Vegas Never Sleeps with Steven Maggi.
1: Let's return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi.
3: You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. We are chatting with Miston Gep and Stacy Blind, proprietors of the Showgirl Boot Camp Experience.
5: And because of it's so complicated for people, I mean, there is a, dis- a very distinctive difference between a showgirl and a dancer. And the only difference primarily was just uh, experience as far as danceability and then having all the right measurements to be a showgirl. And those showgirls, you know, that were just basically designed to walk and 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 basically show off the costumes. That's why they were called showgirls. They they were there to show off the costumes so they were tall, they were graceful, they were they were trained dancers, but they could have been a model as well that, that could take direction. But dancers trained you know, most of their lives to be able to do everything. And it wasn't until the budgets got cut where it wasn't enough money to hire showgirls and dancers. So they had to be both.
3: But and, then, uh, there's and then, no height limitation to somebody that wants to go there, right? If they happen to be short, you can work with them, no, correct?
4: No. No, no, no if, um, if you were short and you came to Vegas, you, there were only a few slots that there are pony dancers. Only a few jobs that they hired the shorter, shorter girls, and um, a lot of times those were in the reviews that were in the lounge shows. Um, so, but yeah, as a showgirl, five. you had to be tall. Yeah, I mean, I'm—I was five ten, five ten and a half, yeah. and I was sh- on the shorter side.
3: Really? Yeah. But I mean, now if somebody's yeah. coming to your uh, boot camp experience, oh no,
4: no, you it, can work no, with them, right? Come, oh, we'll work with anybody. So we—this is the fun part—is like anybody can come. It does not matter what your size is. It does not matter what your age is. It does not matter what your gender is. Nothing matters. You walk in that door and Miss Singed and I are going to transform you into the most amazing version of a showgirl that we can get. And that I can guarantee Wow, they that's never great. leave unhappy. That I can guarantee you Absolutely. that. Yes, we have been challenged. But we, we have always come through. We have been challenged, and we always. <laughs> we could make you a showgirl, <laughs> darling. We, we could, and I. I'm going to lay it out. Like if you're ever in town, like that, it's right there for you.
3: Well, we definitely will come out and see. I don't think I. nobody would want to see that, but I'd love to see what you do there. Uh, you know, just a couple more things real quickly. Uh, authentic Feather and Rhinestones. Now, people might scoff at that, but they were special. And apparently what you've got there is not something that maybe, you know, in an amateur show somewhere, you, you, what you're talking about really was uh, something that you could see from an entire theater, and it really is, uh, strikes out of the mind.
5: Right. And, and our costuming for this is really structured for what it can be applied to. If we were to get an actual showgirl costume from a big Jubilee show and put it on one of these people, they couldn't walk in it. Right. It just wouldn't be engineered for them because all the costumes that were designed for those shows were specifically designed for a specific person. It had to be their size. It had to be completely strapped and adhered to them. The backpacks alone were like 30, 30 to 40 pounds. The headdress on top of that, plus you're walking down a flight of stairs and you can't look down because your headdress would fall over. So you're basically carrying anywhere between 60 to 100 pounds on you wow. because of the weight and how you have to walk and in a, in a high heel shoe on top of that and then make it look good. So the these costumes were um, are, are designed to fit anybody that comes in as best as we can. We haven't had anybody that couldn't fit in them, but they are just a whisper of, of the real showgirl costumes, and they're made uh, with
4: lighter materials so yes, that they
5: it's not made, so
4: hard yeah. on their necks and things like that. Yeah,
5: these, okay. these headdresses um, and, and the arm feathers, of course, the feathers don't uh, actually weigh anything, but the jewelry that we put them in is, you know, it's modified to have the look without having the weight because the jewelry, that chain jewelry that the girls wear, it's it's cost prohibited. We couldn't afford to recreate that. It would be impossible.
3: You know, before and after the event, too, they get to shop at your showgirl boot camp store, which sounds like a lot of fun. And if people mm-hmm. really enjoy this and they get something out of it that they want to want to recreate – I guess you've got all the materials there. All they need is right there to get.
5: Right, right. We have a, a really fun selection of things that they can um, get at our – it keeps growing every time we, <laughs> we go in there and go, what about this? Add this in there. And, and of course, costume, co- costume designs are also custom. I can customize a costume for them if they happen to have a big event coming up. But it's pricey, not cheap.
3: Well, if you want something quality, you have to pay for yeah. it. But let's talk yeah. about – because I think people are hearing this, and, of course, we're always looking for fun stuff for people to do in uh, Vegas. And one of the That's things, if you got a group, you can go there. So how does it work? How do they sign up? Because I think a lot of people probably want to go out, and, and how, what's like a minimum amount of people you need and so forth?
4: So right now, it's, and we can do anywhere from 2 to 15 people at one time. Okay. And we take, at, we and take reservations – for, and, and basically, it doesn't matter if it's two people or fifteen people. We still rent the venue. It's still a private event, and um, they get all of the same. I mean, there's nothing changes. Just the the total people, the amount of people we have to have come and work it. But anywhere from two to fifteen people, um, and uh,
3: what are the hours?
4: They get to pick their hours. Um, We mostly work during the day around, we'll start around noon or one. Mm -hmm. Um, So then they do the boot camp and their makeup is all done. And it's great for them to go back to the hotel and then go right to dinner because they're already dolled up and everything's beautiful. And and so we always suggest that they do that so that they don't have to mess their makeup up.
3: And your location?
4: Right now we are at Adorn at the Dell, which is a private wedding venue. Um, and we offer transportation from the strip hotel to the venue, but we are also, um, right now, um, looking at other locations that would be closer to the strip. COVID actually, um, shut us down from the strip and we had to reinvent. And what we did is we pulled it away from the strip to a huge venue off of a stage where we could social distance. So this place is brand new, gorgeous chandeliers, tons of space easy to keep clean, and so that is what's working for us right now. But in the next 30 days, we will have a, a secondary location that is closer to the Strip that um, they can get right to us, yeah, if they're staying on the Strip. Because we do have um, some locals that like to come, too.
3: Sounds great. We're going to do that. So let's tell people how to get a hold of you. What's the website, to read?
4: There is. The website is showgirlbootcamp.com. And then the email is showgirlbootcamp at gmail dot com.
3: That's easy to remember, and a phone number.
4: And the phone number is seven seven five three three eight six seven six one. And you can ask for Stacy. I'm the first contact for anybody yeah. calling in. And you can text that all the information that you might want. We can text it also.
3: Sounds terrific, Miss <laughs> Dinget and Stacey Wallbine. Thank you so much for being with us and we're going to go out to hit Showgirl Boot Camp and I hope to come out and meet you in person. Thank you so much for being with us. That's
5: Thank
4: fantastic. you so much. Thank you.
3: Have
0: you been portnoid yet? Well, you should be. What does that actually mean, Neil Portnoy? Well, you know, Mona Van something. She's a psychic. Her name just slips me at the moment. At one of my networking events said, you know, you're nobody in Vegas until you've been portnoid." I went, Oh, I kind of like that. So we started marketing doing those portrait caricatures, and it's really caught on. Everybody wants to be portnoid. And what portnoid means is you send me a photograph, and I do a realistic cartoon caricature. Realistic looks just like you, and then I cartoon the body. And you then become part of the portnoid wall of honor here at Portnoy Gallery which now, since its inception in 2017, has got over 60 members on the wall. It's the new Sardis of Las Vegas.
3: Absolutely. Our own John, the announcer, is there. How do we get information we want to get Portnoy?
0: Uh, you can call the gallery at 702-685-2929 or on social media, Facebook, Portnoy Gallery, artist Neil Portnoy, Neil Portnoy, iDrawPeople.com, and probably about six other places that, at my age, memory is the second thing that goes.
3: You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchie, Coast to Coast on the Talk Media Network. Let's go to
6: Vegas. Let's do-
2: what if every dollar you invested into your training program? Turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E learning has made each of these scenarios possible. Utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace.
1: You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with
3: Steven Maggi. Another facet of Vegas history includes burlesque, which is honored at the Burlesque Hall of Fame. It's been closed for a little while we went through the pandemic, but it's back open now on Fridays and Saturdays from 11 to 5. Las Vegas celebrates a lot of things. They've got an incredible mob museum. They celebrate neon lights over at the Neon Museum pinballs, the Pinball Hall of Fame, and another particularly interesting Hall of Fame that I just learned about is called the Burlesque Hall of Fame. And with us today is the executive director, Dustin Wax. Now, Dustin, boy, what a pleasure to talk with you about this, because Burlesque does have a lot of history involved with Las Vegas, doesn't it?
6: Yeah, it certainly does. Um, Some of the earliest, well, the, the Minsky's started the first Hopeless Reviews. Uh, here in Vegas at the Dunes back in the 50s, and Lee St. Cyr was a, a big entertainer here. Tempest Storm was a big entertainer here. Uh, so, yeah, from the beginning of Vegas entertainment, the burlesque has been a big part of it.
3: Now, let's explain to people what burlesque is. Some people get it confused with vaudeville. Uh, it's got a naughty side, but it's not all just strictly that, right? I mean,
6: explain what it is. Right. Well, it is closely tied to vaudeville. Uh, vaudeville was sort of family entertainment, and burlesque was more adult entertainment. Um, in, in those days, in the first part of the 20th century, it was much more of a variety show. There was no striptease. Um, uh, nudity on stage was illegal in most places. Uh, burlesque itself is is a theatrical tradition that goes back to the beginning of theater, of, of parody, of exaggeration, of sexualization, uh, and, and was used as a way to kind of poke fun at the errors of the rich and powerful. Um, you know, you take these high and mighty people and you sex them up a little bit and you show that they're really just interested in chasing girls and whatever and it makes them seem more human, more ridiculous. Um, and so uh, as, it, as it evolved in the United States, it combined with uh, minstrelsy and uh, and stage production to become that sort of variety show where you had dancing girls, you had uh, baggy pants comics, uh, which a lot of the sort of mid-century American comics came out of burlesque theater out in Costello. Um, uh, Gleason uh, Alda <coughs> I'm trying to think of some other names Oh, um, uh, Bert um, uh, uh, Berlar Was um, it even like the Three Stooges? Didn't they start on there with some acts? Uh, the or Three Stooges, yeah Some of the, the early Stooges um, yeah. As they swapped them in over the years They were more and more likely to come out of you know com- The comedy circuit that emerged But, but yeah the, um, uh, But what really sets Modern burlesque apart Is in the 30s, when radio and the movies started pulling off a lot of those comics mm-hmm. um, and started replacing entertainment for most Americans, you know they weren't going out to see; they were sitting home listening to the radio, or they were going to the, to the Nickelodeon to see movies for you know five cents or a dime, and that killed vaudeville because vaudeville was very dependent on stuff that was now in, in movies. But uh, what burlesque had was that sort of sex appeal, and so the emphasis on striptease became more and more important. Um, not, you know, it, it eventually evolves into sort of stripping as we know it today, but, but in the sort of 30s through 60s, the sort of golden age burlesque period, it's much more, it's apt. There's still a slight sense of humor. There's a lot of um, back and forth with the audience. You know, someone like Gypsy Rose Lee uh, was known as the intellectual stripper because she talked she read poetry, she told jokes, she you know, was really talking to her audience, and what was revolutionary about that wasn't so much that there was a woman being sexy on stage, but that a woman was being smart on stage, and, uh, and I think there's a lot of that sort of intelligence and, and, um, and humor in burlesque that really sets it apart from you know, other forms of erotic entertainment.
3: Yeah, I think people that confuse it too much with like a strip joint, really, in its day, was much different. And while it wasn't for kids, at the same time, comparatively, eh, it, wasn't so, uh, it wasn't all so bad, other than at the time, that was probably as bad as you could get. Yeah.
6: From, from our viewpoint, um, but yeah, at the time, through, from even in the 1860s, when the, the sexiest thing that happened is women wore tights that showed the shape of their legs. That was scandalous. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, all the way through burlesque history was always sort of scandalous, even though, you know, today we look at it and we go, you know, people are covered from their mid thigh to their belly button and they're covered from, you know, the, the bottom of their breast to their neck. Um, but at the time, that was, you know, that was quite a lot. I um, mean, especially the taking off of clothes, the, the act of it. So you could have um, what are called tableaux vivants, where a nude woman or nude women would be modeling on stage and holding a pose. And that was considered classic art in the same way that, you know, a nude painting was considered classic art. But, uh, but if she took a piece of clothes off, then it was a, obviously a sexual come on and, uh, and that was you know scandalous, it was illegal. It still is illegal in a lot of parts of the country. There's a lot of states where burlesque dancers have to leave the stage and disrobe, you know, take a piece of clothes off and come back on stage and they bill it as a costume change. Hmm. Um, They're not allowed to take their clothes off in front of the audience because that is considered prurient.
3: You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps, and we're speaking to Dustin Wax, executive director of the Burlesque Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, this is a real interesting thing, and these are all the types of things you'll find on the Hall of Fame. Now, what gave you guys all the idea to do something like that? I mean, it's something that it's an important part of entertainment history, yet— Maybe maybe because of some of those things you were just saying, we don't talk about it a lot. But uh, really, it's something where uh, a lot of our history, cultural history, can kind of be shown through that.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so we've been around for a long time. The, the Burlesque Hall of Fame uh, collection started in 1965. So we just had the 50th anniversary of our collection um, and of the idea of having some kind of museum. It was founded by a dancer named Jenny Lee, who was a... Uh, an AGFA member, the, the American Guild of Variety Artists, that's the union that represents uh, all kinds of variety artists, but, you know, that's where exotic dancers fit in, in in the mid-20th century. And she felt they weren't doing enough to protect exotic dancers, and so she formed the Exotic Dancers League as a section of AGFA, and in that was in 1955. In 1965, she, for their annual meeting, she invited people to bring their costumes and photos and start a burlesque hall of fame. And I think she kind of understood that in order to achieve the kinds of economic and political goals that they had as a union, they needed to present burlesque as less of a marginal thing that happened in the shadows and more of an, an art form and, you know, really highlight the artisticness, the creativity of it, um, and, the, and the, the importance of that history. Um, she showed that collection in her in her bar in San Pedro for a while. And then in the 80s, she bought a a goat ranch in the middle of nowhere in California, Hellandale, California, and started the Exotic World Museum. And that's our media precursor. Um, So uh, she passed away. It was then run by uh, another dancer, a friend of hers named Dixie Evans, who um, uh, ran it from 1990 up until about 2005, 2006. A storm blew the roof off the museum, and it was a very old... Building. I mean, it was was literally an old goat ranch, and it was just not worth repairing. So they moved the collection out here. We opened up in 2010 here in Vegas, down on Fremont Street. And as you said, I mean, this is an important history. It's an important part of entertainment history, obviously. It's an important part of women's history. It's up these, you know, most of the performers, uh, like I mentioned, the baggy pants comics who were typically men, but the dancers were almost all women. And they were almost all independent business people, as, as exotic dancers are today. You know, they worked for themselves. They had booking agents who booked them into the theaters. Uh, they ran their own careers in a in a position that was very marginal to society, and yet uh, they you know they persisted, they they persevered, and they fought. Uh, there are performers of color who had to fight you know racism mm-hmm. and the color line. Um, just as women, they were you know largely looked down upon. Um, they were largely poor and working class background, and so it was a way to make you know almost everyone that you talked to from the, who danced in the 50s and 60s was like, wow, I was a secretary for whatever, $10 a week, and I could make $100 a week taking my clothes off at the burlesque club. And so that was a no-brainer for a lot of them. It was a way for them to make a lot of money in a time when jobs that paid well were almost all reserved for men. So it's an interesting part of women's history and of working history, as well as just the American history of, of how the art form has progressed and how it's changed our attitudes towards uh, towards sexuality, towards nudity, towards women's bodies, and that's, that's also very much a part of the, the scene today.
3: I guess it was really something where, as will happen in our culture, it was a kind of a revolution of source where they were going to, you know, you just got a, a change, and that goes with, I guess, mm-hmm. went right along with the, the ability to move, right, and, and yeah. uh, go around the country.
6: And the urbanization and the creation of new audiences that were mixing both uh, uh, native peop- native born people who had moved off the farm into the cities, and then big, huge waves of immigrants that were coming in Irish and Italian East European, um, and that kind of new melting pot of the city where you know women were working in factories and women were you know sort of coming out of the home, uh, particularly young women. And there are all these different cultural styles and all these different, you know, the, the rise of sort of a new working class identity in America. And a burlesque fit right in now was a big part of that.
3: Thanks, Dustin. Remember, the Hall of Fame is open again on Fridays and Saturdays. To learn more, go to their website at www.burlesquehall.com. That's www.burlesquehall.com. And please follow both Vegas Never Sleeps and Sports and Tours on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you, Vegas never sleeps.
4: Vegas, here we go!